namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa bhutang dhammang sankhang namasami Well done, Matthew. Um, it's, uh, like I said, your, your enthusiasm is infectious. So hopefully we'll all go back and make determinations for this year and practice diligently. These are, these are rare events. In Thailand, they're not so rare here. It's quite rare. So for Matthew to consider this life and give up what he's been doing, family life, and to undertake the training in a, in a, in a serious way is, is, is commendable. And I think we all are inspired by that example. Matthew's determination to live by the precepts, and then the last part is the uh, taking dependence on a teacher, and that's uh, quite a beautiful relationship of mutual mutual caring, where I, as a representative of the Sangha, undertake to try to offer support to Matthew and uh, make sure he has the requisites and reflections for uh, for his practice. And he, in turn, tries to look out for my needs, for my, my spiritual needs as well as my physical needs. And that mutuality is quite important to remember. And that Mutuality is also with the whole Sangha, that the whole Sangha, because we are all uh, part of this ceremony, we also all undertake to help Matthew in his uh, endeavor, in his determination, his aspiration, and so also Matthew undertakes to help all the members of the Sangha, and also the lay people. You know, if, if you participate in this kind of a ceremony, then you feel connection to Matthew, and then Matthew feels connection to you, and that's the way we build, uh, one of the ways we build a spiritual community overall. Uh, in, we have different livelihoods and different practices that we do, but that sense of mutual support is terribly important for uh, lay life and bhikkhu life and agarika life. The social situation that Matthew comes into is, is uh, but hierarchical, and we were talking about this at the Patimoka, but the hierarchy that we have isn't one of um, power and authority. Like we're not priests who have priestly rights, that we have some kind of exclusive avenue to truth, and somehow people have to channel their power to us, I suppose, and that we somehow are the sole arbitrators of truth, or that we somehow have um, power in that way. We're, we're just bhikkhus, and we're, we're practitioners. We're trying to understand the Buddhist teaching the best to our ability. And um, the relationship that we have, although it's hierarchical, it's, again, it's, it's something about caring rather than authority, something about looking out for each other rather than power. I know sometimes people feel shy to talk with me if they've come here, if they've never been here, if they get to know me, it's no problem, really. But uh, certainly authority figures have 
that kind of cultural aura about them and and then that cultural aura can be misused a senior a senior person in a monastic order could misuse that but we have a we have a vinaya which is a, we have monastic code which is actually very, very protective of that very helpful of that and all of us live by this code and no bhikkhu no particular individual can just say well this is the way it is we all have to agree or we all give up to a code so we don't really have obedience in the sense of maybe Christian monasticism we have more a training and a common surrender to or giving to giving ourselves to uh, a way of living which is not determined by any particular person be it the abbot or the um, whoever but it's something that we all agree upon and within that our, our, our higher authority is always the the, the kind of communal agreements we have about how we're going to live together. And and then, if there's any differences of opinion about that, then we, we try to discuss and say, well, what what is what is our tradition there, and what, what do our elders say in Thailand, or what do our elders say in California, what do the books say? And then we try to come to a common agreement, rather than it just being something that's imposed on us from above, and that we all have to obey that commandment, as it were. And so in the same way that Matthew comes into that, he's uh, he's not just like the last person in a row that has to jump to everyone's command. He's, a, he's an adult, he's a man, and he has his own uh, practices, and, and it's our duty to respect him in that way. And then he will respect us in turn. So authority really comes from respect. Uh, and responsibility. So monastic life has a hierarchy, but it also has um, ways of delegating authority to certain individuals, uh, and that delegation of authority is is based upon responsibility. So, so say Tina is the treasurer, and we, as a bhikkhu sangha, we have to agree to listen to her because she understands what the books are about. And so I can't, I can't command Tina in some kind of a way that doesn't respect her responsibility. So even though you have a seeming kind of difference, there's lay people and there's monks and so on, still uh, authority is delegated to, to those people who are responsible the same way. Venerable Chunda is in charge of guests, and then Kimiko is in charge of work, and so they. So I'm I'm senior to both of them, but I can't just say, "Well, I'm senior. We're going to do this, that, and the other." I could, but they'd leave, <laughs> which would be my karma, wouldn't it? And I deserve it. Um, so it's a, one has to be like so for uh, for those of us who are in this order to, to not just uh, use our positions of seniority somehow to dominate others that would be wrong and it would be counterproductive and, and it would just be it would just be awful really so but to listen to listen to each other and to listen to admonishment and to consider admonishment say hmm yeah maybe um, not rather than getting defensive or saying well I saw you do that so part of our life is a mutual admonishment, and, and the Buddha praised that. Buddha praised the capacity to be able to hear other people's 
perceptions and, 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 and points of view about our behavior. And all of us are blind spots. All of us are kind of you know, some things we see, some things we don't see. So the capacity to listen, to listen to one's fellow uh, monastic members and, and, and listen and actually seek that out. One is encouraged to actually, oh, thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. I didn't realize I was doing that. That's really skillful. Very, very skillful and very, very helpful. Uh, if it was about competition and power and, you know, I, you know, Matthew would just be making widgets for my company and we'd be trying to get a profit and all the rest of it, then of course it would be ridiculous. It wouldn't be a spiritual community. So our goals aren't efficiency or productivity or, or success even. Although, if we're productive, it's nice. We have a beautiful kitchen now. And, and, and so it's, it's good to do things well. But those aren't the goals. The goals of spiritual life aren't, aren't those worldly goals. They're worldly skills which can be, can be used. But our, our goal is really freedom from suffering. And, and our particular methodology is to try to, within our own individual work, to try to do it as a, as a group of men practicing in community and in practicing within a larger community of lay people. So this uh, social structure gives Matthew a chance to surrender, but not surrender in a kind of abject, stupid way, but rather to, to, to kind of surrender during this year to say, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to just try to do very my best to serve and to help, and then I'm going to watch how that affects me, try to develop my meditation, develop my study. Uh, so it's a vehicle. It's not the only vehicle. We can have vocation, marriage, sickness is a vehicle, unfortunately, and also people get sick and that's their practice, all kinds of ways. But the practice, we always talk about the practice and what is that? That's the awakening of the mind to suffering and seeing a way out of suffering. We were doing some English words with Tansavijano and we did symptom diagnosis prognosis and cure. The Venerable Suijana was diligently learning English and diagnosis. His language doesn't say it. Can you say diagnosis? Diagnosis. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Diagnosis. Diagnosis. There you go. Now, that medical model is something that we use for, to consider the Four Noble Truths, symptom, diagnosis, prognosis, and cure. And the prognosis is good. So for all of you who, who suffer up there, <laughs> the prognosis is very, very good. There is an end to suffering. The diagnosis is that it's caused through the attachment of craving. And then the cure is the letting go. Letting go of that craving, the abandonment of craving through good living, through moral living, through generous living, through the development of the mind, through uh, concentration, through wisdom and understanding. It's the path, the cure, the medicine that we take. And so Matthew's worldly duty is to, to live as an anagarika and, and to fulfill his duties as an anagarika and live by the eight precepts and all the etiquettes that we have in the monastery. The spiritual duty is not to, to not suffer. I said, I said, and then the smile, I'm very optimistic. <laughs> uh, a smile 
It's a kind of radiant smile, uh, lovely to see. Uh, but the end of suffering is obviously not inspiration. Inspiration is, is, is wonderful because it can really motivate you to, to put a lot of time into formal practice and so on. Um, but no condition is the end of suffering. The end of suffering is the, the abandonment of craving, the whole structures of ego wanting that come up when we can't get what we want, we, we get what we don't want. And so the, the, the capacity to use these Four Noble Truths constantly in this framework is the sort of perfect package of monastic life where the Vinaya defines uh, roughly how, how we're going to relate to each other, the routines of the monastery set up, the kind of da- daily schedule and daily etiquette that we live by. And then within, within that, the heart of this life is really the individual's integrity in understanding suffering and the end of suffering. Without that, it would just be a bunch of empty rule-keeping, really pointless to do. Um, and it would be better maybe than not doing it, but it could just... You know, rule-keeping without wisdom becomes very repressive or can even become very conceited. i got more rules than you have, that kind of thing. But when when these structures of, of these limitations that we put on ourselves in this life, these these boundaries that we voluntarily work within, when these boundaries and limitations and the inability just to go where we want to go or to do what we wanted to or to distract when we want to distract, those those limitations and boundaries bring up things into the mind which are part of the suffering mind. Sometimes we feel inspired, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we, we're spoken to kindly and with uh, inspiring words, but sometimes people are in a bad mood and they speak to us in other ways and in hurtful ways. And so community life, as we all know, is a kind of um, voluntary friction that we engage in. Not, not, not that we cause each other friction deliberately, but it just happens through the matter of course because we can't really, really go anywhere. So whatever greed, hatred, and delusion that I have in my own mind or you have in your mind will manifest here with these people in this situation and these um, forms that we live by because it can't manifest anywhere else. So if I'm, if I'm a person who has uh, tendencies towards anger, where's the anger going to come out? I'm not going to hate all the Chinese in the world, right? I'm going to hate probably the person next to me or the person in the kitchen or the person that did this or the person that did that. So the arising of greed, hatred, delusion manifests here. And, and um, the, of course, the, the skill of the contemplative is not to believe in the projections. And my fears and desires are not really realities, they're not ultimate truths, but they are simply manifestations of consciousness which are uncomfortable. I tend to attach to them. They're caught up in patterns and and all the rest of it. And non-grasping, non-grasping, non-attachment, freedom from suffering is the ability to take it all, but not get lost in it, be bad and indifferent. And when our buttons get pressed, when we don't get what we want, and so on. That's, that's the kind of hard work of, of monastic life, where we don't feel uplifted, inspired by the situation, where we just can't figure out how we're going to get along this with this person tomorrow, or um, just can't stay awake in a meditation, or feel really, really bored of the chanting, or... or Ba 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 ba. It goes on and on and on, and the the contemplative 
the clarity of non-grasping is challenged by those situations because they seem very real. The projections I have about someone or or this boring state of mind or uninspiration, they seem like they seem like solid realities, don't they? And yeah, we all reflect back, well that changed. So the contemplative life is not having happy heart all the time or happy mind all the time. It's knowing happiness and unhappiness and finding that place of non-grasping and non-craving. So what, what happens? You, 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 know, you feel, say Matthew feels inspired now and that's lovely to see. And of course, um, how long can that inspiration last? It's got to change. And then the, Matthew's challenge is not to feel inspired all the time because that would be horrible. I must feel inspired all the time, but and and not that I'm gonna, you know, do something to ruin your life. Or I'm gonna make you uninspired. <laughs> not, not that. It's just that that when it changes from inspiration to neutrality or disinterest or aversion or whatever it is, what is it? It doesn't change. What is unchanging? Craving wants wants to keep changing things according to the patterns of comfort and happiness, according to the patterns of inspiration and and refined uh, refined states of mind of bliss whatever whatever you want. That's the craving mind likes those. Obviously, we all like that physical comfort, physical health, but that the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of refinement, the pursuit of Inspiration, the pursuit of uh, sense, depri- sense deprivation. Quite often, we prefer that as monastics. You know, it's really nice um, not to have to relate to humanity. It kind of can be quite a trap for for monastics. You know, kind of le- leave me alone, feed me because I'm meditating. <laughs> but that's not freedom. That's just sense deprivation. So we look at that. We have times where we. We have, like, we've had a long period of just no, no structures now, and different people have been doing different things according to their preferences. Now there are more structures. Is that a problem? If it is a problem, is it the structure, or is it my mind liking things a certain way? So monastic life, although it seemed to be very, very the same all the time, actually, there's quite a lot of change It goes on. But the changes are very simple. They're not complicated. And then we, we observe, what is it? What is it about the heart now that can be at ease with this person, with this situation? And what is it about the heart now that just can't stand it or doesn't want to be here? So we watch the craving mind. And to watch the craving mind and not buy into it gives a result which is actually not obvious in the beginning. And you have a mind state which comes up and is maybe really judgmental about someone in the monastery and you keep wanting to say something, I'm going to tell them, 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 but something in you says, no, I've, I've told them a million times before for 60 years now. <laughs> I follow that one and I'm not going to do it this time. There's some, some kind of voice in you, right, that says, no, this state of mind is not skillful. It's, it's not, it doesn't come from wisdom, it comes from some reactivity. And that's the craving mind wanting to express itself, but something in us says no, 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 no. And that practice, it doesn't seem like much. 
the practice of restraint, the practice of not doing, the practice of not following, the kind of non-part of our life, doesn't seem very significant. But what that, what that does, it keeps bringing us back to non-craving, to non-becoming. And then the burning of the negativity comes through us, but now we're no longer grasping it. We're, we're just witnessing, we're knowing change, we're witnessing non-change. And then, over a few years' time, we find that those tendencies towards craving have really, really diminished. And so our, our, our hearts begin to have some sense of ease, some sense of connectedness, empathy, joy, beauty, not because we've manipulated conditions to reorganize people, routines, food, whatever you want, according to our desire patterns. No, it's because we've given that up. And this is renunciation. We've given that up. We say, well, this food's good enough. Thank you. Routine, yeah, it's good enough. Polychanting, it's good enough. Do some work in the morning, good enough. Yeah, it's kind of... That's Marion's email address, isn't it? Marion at goodenough.com or something. And it's not that we're complacent. We're actually very hardworking people. Everyone's quite diligent in that way. But now... And the idea of surrendering to, to the vehicle is you have something higher than just one's own preferences, which is great. Which is really, really great. So one's own preferences, they like, I don't like, I want more, I want less, it should be this, should be that, and then you want no. But it's this way now. And then we can confer and talk about it, maybe we could do it this way or that way, but it's not no longer pushed by our own agendas and our own um, desire patterns. So the cessation of desire, you know, when we talk about new road, it seems like, whoa, Finish like that. But actually, and as you practice, those desire patterns falling away, are, it, you don't notice it. It's like getting wet in the rain. You don't really, really notice it. You only kind of notice it later and say, hmm, I'm not reacting. Well, I'll be darned. And that happiness, the happiness of non-reactivity, the happiness of non-remorse, the happiness of, of no buttons left, is, is wonderful. It's really quite marvelous. And that takes, I think, faith, faith in this life, and faith in an awareness of change, rather than the desire mind always trying to change things according to whatever pattern you want. So life faith in um, Matthew takes um, uh, a leap of faith, a step of faith, maybe it's not a leap, a gentle uh, turning towards uh, uh, the life of renunciation. That's a, that's a really... Beautiful thing to do to incline towards nibbana now, you know. Like so, there there are the worldly concerns. We have a new kitchen, and we have a good sangha, and those are all the kind of worldly things. We're very fortunate. It's a very good time for the monastery. But the, the inclination towards nibbana is not even that. So, so the inclination in nibbana is a kind of inner sense that there is that which is not born, does not die, is not, and is the end of craving. So as the craving mind comes up within this form, you say, no, no, that's the very thing I need to watch. That's what I need to observe, not buy into it. As, as, as we don't buy into it, that ceasing, that constant ceasing, then, then this life is, is naturally very uh, uplifting. Um, and because the, the, the mind's needs fall away. And when the mind's needs fall away, then what's left is compassion generosity, morality is just so natural, isn't it? 
Listen, what else would you do? What else would you do but help people? What else would you do but work hard to help people? And we think, do, really? And so there's a natural progression towards compassion and joy through the letting go of selfishness. Yeah. And how can I see selfishness unless I have something bigger than my limited self? And so monastic life offers that in a particular way. It's not the only kind of life one can practice in family life or whatever, but it's a, it's a rather unique thing. It's a tradition that's been going, it's been continuous, and somehow people have been doing this kind of work for over 2,500 years. That's quite extraordinary, really, if you think about it. In some way or other, the monks in the time of the Buddha were formulating these rules, were probably struggling with similar kinds of issues, probably physically very hard. And we, here we are in Perth, 2500 plus 2500 years later, um, still engaged in this in this Dhamma and this particular way of living. So it's an auspicious day, Matthew. Thank you for inspiring us, and and uh, we all wish you just just enough suffering for enlightenment. Not not too much. You know, just 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 enough, and, and a speedy enlightenment too. So maybe with the bhikkhus we could uh, we could chant uh, Sabha Buddha, the verses of victory, to wish Matthew well in his uh, spiritual journey. Sabha Buddha Nubhava Na Sabha Dhamma Nubhava Na Sabha Sankha Nubhava Na Buddha Ratanang Dhamma Ratanang Sangha Ratanang Tinang Ratananang Anubhava Na Chatura Siti Sahasa Dhamma Kanta Nubhava Na pita kataya nu bawe na jinasa wakanu bawe na sabe tero sabe te baya sabe te andarai sabe te upadawa sabe te dunimi sabe te awamangala winasantu. Ayuada ko danawada ko siriwada ko yasawada ko balawada ko wandawada ko sukawada ko hoto sabada do karoga bayawe soka satu chupada wane kantaraya wina. Santu chate chasa chaya sedi danang lapaso tibagyang sukang balang siriyayu chawano chabogang wodi chaya so satawasa chayu chajiwasi bawantu te bawatu sab mangalang rakatu sabade Sabbhutta nubhava na sadasuti bhava 
ันเจเจปาวะตุสาบะกัลังรากันตุสาบะเดวตาสาบะดัมมานุบาวเอนสัตตาสติปาวะเจเจปาวะตุสาบะมังกะรากันตุสาบะเดวตาสาบะสังฆานุบาวเอนัสดาสติบาวันเจ